Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Brace yourself, guys. There's trouble in the Middle East. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> Welcome back. It's Barstool Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire, and joined by uh, Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College, and we have our super guest, uh, Dr. Suzanne Chad from North Central College. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, hey, Suzanne. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. Oh, it's fun. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, before we get started, uh, podcast and plug stuff, um, follow us on Facebook, uh, at Barstool Politics, Twitter, at Barstool Paul, P-O-L. Uh, beers that we try you can find on the untapped app we have a really nice local one that we're going to do this week that we're very excited about organic super just organic. took my first yeah. step delicious. delicious um the podcast itself uh you can find it on soundcloud and stitcher and spreaker and google Wait, play music spreaker that's a thing that's a thing there's like tons of Sorry, platforms. Sorry, Spreaker. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know it was a thing either until right. I looked for it. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> um, and then definitely, um, what's the word? Share us and review us on iTunes. That's where most of you are listening. So do that because we have friends and we would like your friends to listen to our things because yeah. it's very fun. You're getting so good at the plugs, Nick. I know. <laughs> it's like routine now. It's just, yeah. But then at the end, it's, it's the trails off like you felt, still feel a little uncomfortable. It kind of falls apart after a couple of drinks. <laughs> Not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So yeah. Peace. Peace in the Middle East. Not looking so hot right now. No. It was. It was. A, it's real bad. It was a couple days. Yeah. So all right. So let's <laughs> summarize. Couple, what did you say, Nick? It's been a couple thousand years. It's been yeah, a it's, few it's thousand true. years yeah. of things worth to talk about. Yeah. So on Monday, the U.S. celebrated the opening of its new embassy in Jerusalem. Uh, while roughly an hour's drive away, deadly violence erupted along the Israeli-Gaza border. The two scenes made for a stunning split-screen contrast. The opening of the embassy was a grand old party with Jared and Ivanka, who Colbert called Peace Treaty Barbie and Collusion Ken. Good, good on you, Colbert. Uh, they were whooping it up with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu exalted, what a glorious day! And the 800 religious and political figures from both countries sang hallelujah together. At the same time, along the Israeli... Uh, I know, it really is. It kind of gets you. Uh, along the borders, over 60 Palestinians were killed and thousands injured in the worst violence since 2014. So much to talk about here. Most significantly, whether the prospect of Middle East peace and the two-state solution is finally gone. Additionally, can the U.S. still be seen as a neutral arbiter in this process? What about the Israeli rules of engagement that allowed them to target and kill so many Palestinians? And finally, what was Trump thinking inviting controversial evangelical pastors Robert Jeffries and or Jeffress and John Hagee, who in the past have made derogatory comments about Muslims, Jews, Mormons, just basically anybody other than a Christian they've they've gone after. So it's very problematic. It it is. So yet not um, surprising. Yeah. So I don't know. Thoughts or reactions on on all of it. Uh is this it was a weird 
you could like the screens literally showed like one happy and one very sad. It was just yeah. <laughs> yes. oh, God. Oh. I I didn't expect it to be. I mean, I knew there were going to be protests and this was going to get ugly. I didn't expect that level of violence. It was it's crazy and it's been ongoing and I uh, I I often have a hard time um not uh um, what's the word? Empathizing with the Israelis when things like this happens, but at the same time, there are reasons why they undertake the actions that they do. But this is over the top. It's crazy. The, yeah, the the fact that they were shooting live ammunition, right? Yeah, for people that were approaching the border fence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I will say Hamas was very strategic in how they did this. So they had tire fires all over the place, creating smoke and making it difficult. But yeah, the idea that you've got you've got Palestinians running at the fence doesn't just make it okay to start using live ammunition at individuals. Mm. Uh, and I, and I, there have been a number of international human rights groups who have condemned it, said it's disproportionate. Um, and especially given, you know, Israel is usually pretty good about being political uh, and understanding the optics of things. And they had to, I don't know, I guess they they didn't anticipate how bad this was going to look. Mm. So. Well, yeah, if they were, weren't prepared for... I think, like Nick said, they should have been prepared for some amount of protest. Mm-hmm. But if it escalated quicker than anticipated or was larger than anticipated, it makes sense that they may have panicked. But to jump to just shooting over the fence and then killing, what was it, 60, I think over now 60, is, the, yeah. is the total. Um, and then not having any real explanation or apology for it, which I guess the apology part's not really that surprising because they've killed Palestinians for a long time and they yeah. don't really apologize for it. But um, it, it just seems that, sort of build to your point that particularly Netanyahu is usually very good about the strategy here and to be silent about it and then also to know the way the international press is covering it compared to how the U.S. press is covering it, the use of words and things like that about how they died. Um, To be silent on it still seems odd, even if it was in a way to sort of propagandize it against the Palestinians. He has said nothing. Right. And the U.S. uses similar logic. So, you know, the press secretary was coming out and saying that this was Hamas propaganda trying to get attention, which on some level is absolutely true. And they Hamas, have been known to do that. Yes, right, they're right. doing this. And their antics were certainly intending to draw Israel into this. And Israel took the bait. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just, all of it is, is terrible. I mean, did this change the calculation of what the response from the Israelis is going forward? I mean, I think that part of the whole optics perspective that they've had is that they know that the international community in pretty much any regard is not going to support that level of violence um, or or direct action against the Palestinians. With the U.S. clearly in their corner at right. this point, exactly. do they kind of give less of a shit? <laughs> <laughs> give less? Yes. Yeah? Slightly zero, less. Zero of them? Zero, it's a really, zero good, shits. really good question, right? I mean, it, there has always been this ironclad relationship between the United States and Israel, but it does feel like that the Trump administration has made it even more ironclad, yes. uh, where Israel doesn't always have to ask for permission. There's very little pushback. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still not even clear what interest this serves for the United States moving the embassy to Jerusalem. I mean, I, I, I can I could understand where that might be useful, but I don't. I think Israel gains a lot by that shift. I don't know if the United States does. Uh, it feels like domestic politics is driving this, not yeah. international interest. 100%. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with juxtaposing uh, Trump's sort of air-quoted foreign policy in the Middle East with Obama. So where Obama was heavily criticized by AIPAC and the Jewish lobby and Jews in the United States and obviously had a more strained relationship with Netanyahu and those that are in the Israeli government. 
but for Trump to be able to say like, look here, I'm just going to do this one symbolic thing without having to do anything real and anything that really has anything to do with any anything of substance, but I'm going to show people both at home and those who support you know, Jews all over the world that just by putting this in Jerusalem shows something about how much we love Israel to make this juxtaposition yeah. between him and Obama. And then the it's question, all symbolic. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't doesn't really get you anything. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't improve Middle East politics. It doesn't in, it doesn't increase the chance of Middle East peace. I think that is, if it, if it was even an option, it's, right. it's worse Let's now. Be but does it increase right. the chance that Jews will vote for him? Because already what we had seen previously is that overwhelmingly Jews had voted for Democrats. Mm-hmm. They had voted for Obama. They mm-hmm. did support Hillary Clinton in 2008 before Obama got the nomination. Obviously, by 2012, it looked a little bit different. But we look at the breakdown of the Jewish vote in 16, it looked different than it had in previous elections. Mm -hmm. Do you think that would make a difference? I don't know if it would make a statistically significant difference, but you know what it does help with is donations. Sure. APAC Mm -hmm. is rich. They give a lot of money. And there are some very, very um, eager donors that this could be a thing that might make a difference. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take a lot to swing somebody one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Right. No, that's that's a really good, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about the financial element of it. That Absolutely. makes a lot of sense. You know, also Jared made a reappearance. Jared been hiding for I don't know how it was it's at least been a couple months that he had Poor to go away. Jared. He still He's doesn't He still doesn't have a security clearance, but he was allowed to give a big speech. Oh yes. Uh, Ivanka was there. Uh, and again, the whole nepotism, all of this ties together in a really awkward way. Um yeah. So But the fact that he again, I think I've said this in the podcast before as a joke, but with his reemergence it reminds me that he's running the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Like Jared Kushner is without security clearance is running Middle East period like Do running the doing a heck of a bang job bang up job yes, bang right. up job right so <laughs> it's his reemergence reminded me that there's just no clear strategy yeah. about how to move forward and so one of the questions you posed about whether a two state solution is possible with it being so clear that not only does this symbolically as you said before kind of put the US in Israel's corner but the fact that Trump has said nothing, nor anyone in his administration, about the increase of the Israeli settlements that now is sort of pushing Palestinians out of that part of Jerusalem, it makes it even more clear that, you know, Jerusalem belongs to Israel, and that's how it's going to be. The Palestinians right. can just figure out where to go from there. Right. Mm-hmm. It, to Nick's earlier point, absolutely, it emboldens Israel, right? There's no reason if you're Israel to be restrained. And I think they'll, they're always going to be strategic. And in general, I think Israel does a... They're very thoughtful about the rules of engagement. I mean, they, they think about these... Those issues dis- different than an authoritarian system would. I don't always agree with their conception of proportionality, but mm-hmm. they they weigh those costs. Mm-hmm. But now you've got the United States in your corner. Mm-hmm. It's hard to argue that the United States is a, a neutral arbiter anymore. I mean, no, it's we're the Israeli ally to whatever they want to pursue, and that, that that I don't know if that's a good position for the United States to be in. I mean, what's what's the alternative position though? It's the position that we've taken for the better part of what four five yeah. decades at yeah. this point that hasn't really achieved much of anything I, I mean is there is the resolve on the other side of this debate to create some sort of dialogue between the two sides with this shift no. i personally well, don't think no, so but i but i think in some ways it, it it we have to pose a question that is a hard one for us to pose to ourselves because we haven't done it in other places in the world where there's violation of human rights of others who live in the same area. So I'm not necessarily saying that the killing of 60 Palestinians is a human rights violation the way that we would talk about it in Syria, Yemen, or other places. But 
Obama took a harder line with some of the violence that was perpetrated by Israel and the way that they treated Palestinians. And so if it's clear to Netanyahu and others that Trump will just sit back and say, you do you and we support you because loyalty is Mm -hmm. the thing, then they have no incentive to act differently. And because... And then what does that mean about the way that they behave moving forward? If they think they have this kind of blank check to you know, kill Palestinians and take over Jerusalem now with the U.S. Embassy, then is that where we are? Is that what it's going to be? Mm-hmm. And does either side want a two-state solution at this point? I, I think it's pretty clear that Israel is reluctant oh, sure. to want to pursue that. I think the Palestinians are as well. I mean, they don't, they don't see the prospect there anymore, so they've withdrawn. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hamas... There is some room to critic- criticize Hamas here. They are instigators. Yeah. They are they are troublemakers, <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't justify the Israeli response. I mean, mm. they Israel could have used water cannons. They could have dumped more tear gas. They could have found other ways to yes. to prevent the violence. But Hamas is intentionally trying to provoke them. So now you have a situation where Israel was reluctant to pursue a two state solution. Mm-hmm. The Palestinians don't really want it. So this is this is where we're stuck until something shifts and i don't see anything shifting no but i mean again from their perspective what is the benefit of a two-state solution at this point i, I mean they, perspective both sides uh, israel's perspective, oh, israel's perspective. I, okay. what there there doesn't seem to be any downside to their current situation mm-hmm. if there's some sort of uprising in jerusalem and you know the u.s embassy goes up in flames then you have the backing of the u.s if there's more attacks on israeli borders or settlements you have carte blanche to do whatever you want and again you have increased support from the u.s when you talk about the palestinians they're in horrible horrible conditions a lot of which have been exacerbated by hamas leadership Mm -hmm. it's 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 horrible yeah so what is the benefit to them taking care of a, another large group of people who also come with the possible threat of terrorism mm-hmm. as opposed to closing off your border and knowing that you could realistically, from an aggressive standpoint, take down anyone who would get in your way? Sure. Right. They're realistically the only major military power in that region that can do anything of consequence. In the short term, I think the status quo serves... Israel's interest. Mm-hmm. Long term, you've got to find some way of dealing with the West Bank and, the, and Gaza. You Absolutely. can't you can't have this just sort of well, they're occupied territories framework persist because e- at some point either you have to have it at one state where you say Israel is taking over all of this and then are you still a democracy? Do the Palestinians get to vote? Well, that's right. not good for Israel in terms <laughs> no. of the numbers. So right. they would never want to move towards a one-state solution that would include the Palestinian territory. So mm-hmm. long term, there's got to be some shift. But I don't know what that time frame is. How do they address this in a way? Because international opinion is against them. In the United States, this conversation is different oh, yeah. than other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're fighting uphill in terms of global opinion. Mm-hmm. But what does this do if we think about, we go back to this idea that now Israel just sort of has us in their corner and they can do whatever they want. Then what does this do to dynamics in the, re- in the region more broadly? So if you have... You know, you look at Hezbollah, who their whole goal, right, is to sort of obliterate and obliterate Israel. But if if Israel now has um, more incentive to sort of continue with what they're doing, then how does that poke at the other parts of the region that have 
you know, they are very clear in how they feel about where Israel should be. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're two. I think it's Israel and Saudi Arabia. Both mm-hmm. are have a really good relationship with Trump right now, where he's mm-hmm. basically said, "Do what you got to do." <laughs> so if I'm Iran, I'm really worried about this because suddenly the my two biggest nemesis, Saudi Arabia and Israel, have total backing from Trump. Mm-hmm. He's going to have them, let them have carte blanche in what they want to do. So I'm going to be, if I'm Iran, a troublemaker. I'm yeah. going to do everything I can to push back, which mm-hmm. isn't good. For other reasons, so it, it feels like the Middle East could get it could get interesting. Really? Yeah, yeah. It could be. <laughs> Is that the word we, we would use? We may, we may want to watch show? that. Can we use yes. that word? Yeah. So, I, I mean, want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, Iran has already been a troublemaker for two decades at this point. More than that, mm-hmm. uh, when you talk about their influence in Afghanistan and Iraq, it's. It's ridiculous. So, I, I, again, what is the incentive for dealing with the regime that while they're, you know, talking to you uh, from a diplomatic perspective, they're going behind your back and supporting groups that are killing your troops that are in occupied territory? I, I, I don't – there doesn't – from a strategic standpoint, there doesn't seem to be a good reason to support a regime like Iran or something similar that – has it, there's just no benefit I, I i don't know i guess the question is whether the dynamic dynamics escalate in an ugly direction so mm-hmm. whether iran's behavior which you're right has not been good whether it gets worse whether saudi arabia is more aggressive and, and we've seen that israel feels more comfortable being aggressive so all of those things in the middle east are not a good cocktail right that's going to blow up in an ugly ugly way so what does that look like though in the long term because in the short term we see these little kind of conflicts pop up but in the long term what does that even look like and I'm asking that as a, like an actual question to you as someone who studies foreign policy. I and, think there's, yeah. there's a real, <laughs> real likelihood that you're going to see an Israeli-Iranian conflict at some point soon. Oh, and really? it, it likely will play out in Syria. So we've seen the tension. Yeah. You know, Syria's yeah. become the proxy mm-hmm. war. I don't know if they directly fight each other, but I think Syria... It's a proxy war. Yeah, heats up between Israel and Iran, which is different than the way Syria's fighting or is, is hot right now. Is it, is it Iran or is it Iran using Hezbollah? Similar, I think it's kind of the same, same thing, thing, right? You know, I think it's it's hard to distinguish between those yeah. two. But I think, yeah, Iran will continue to fund Hezbollah. The reality is, there's probably Iranian troops, or at least uh, uh, what's the I can't think of their uh, their rebel group, not their rebel group. There's going to be Iranian troops causing trouble in yeah. Syria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the national, I can't think of the name of the group. Whatever. Republican Guard. Yes, that's it. What no. was it? The Republican Guard. Oh, hey. there we go. Thank yeah. you, Nick. I yeah, can't, so. uh, <laughs> he's good yeah, for so, something. <laughs> so I think there's there's a real likelihood that there could be some escalation in Syria and maybe even potentially some escalation between the two states themselves. Saudi Arabia would like to get in on that action mm-hmm. against Iran. Yep. So I just it's all of it is bad news. I don't I I don't necessarily agree yeah. with that. I. I don't see a, even if it's a proxy conflict, I don't see a large-scale conflict mm-hmm. coming out of this, and especially when you're talking about Syria. Syria is enough of a mess already when you have Russia and the U.S. and the Syrians themselves and ISIS. terrorist groups and ISIS mm-hmm. and you know, the Kurdish rebels. Why not rebels add one more and, thing in the pocket? Right. It's, there's, there's no, just, why not? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to add more things to the pot. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No. Um there, that seems like a, a quagmire that if you're not in that conflict already, there doesn't seem to be any person of a sound strategic mind or <clears throat> a regime of sound strategic mind that would want to get involved in that. Yeah. I, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's it's a great question. I don't know. We'll we'll see how this all plays out. Um, we got a few minutes left. Let's can we can we talk a bit about the fact that Trump brought John Hagee and uh, Robert Jeffries in? I mean, so just a quick these guys. These guys. So they're terrible. So Jeffress <laughs> uh, is a da- Dallas evan- evan- evangelical pastor who once said, all Jews are going to hell. He's also, uh, Hagee said Hitler was part of God's plan to return Jews to Israel. So um, both wow. uh, Jeffress has, has attacked Jews, Mormons, Muslims. I mean, these are, these are not quiet. Uh, and, I mean, they're provocative. I can't. They're dicks. Why, you can just yeah, say why, dicks. why bring mm-hmm. them? Why bring them to to this format of all places to say let's be part of this ceremony? I, I, I don't know, Suzanne. Is there any? Well, so the first thing I was thinking was again optics that oh, bringing you know evangelical preachers makes a lot of sense because evangelicals in the United States. And so, but we have learned a lot in the past two years about the evangelical vote, and it's not about religion anymore. So you don't really need to bring sure. the evangelical. It's an people. identity. It is. Yeah. So you don't have to bring them there, and so. The only thing I could think of, because the question has like, why not bring a rabbi? Yeah, why is there right. a rabbi there? That You're seems, in Israel. That makes sense. Like, yes, obviously there are Christians in Israel. There, I mean, every religion is found there, right? But it's just like bring a rabbi. Like, yeah. it's not that hard. You can find them in Israel. They're kind of everywhere. Put <laughs> bring a rabbi, and don't so bring we, <laughs> evangelical pastors who have attacked all right. religions, including Judaism. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah. I don't know if it's uh so. Often you have said, you both have said on the podcast, and I think we've all said it in class, that we give Trump too much credit for forethought. (laughs) And I don't know that there was anyone that said to him, hey, remember these guys you're thinking of? They said that shit that they probably shouldn't have said about the people that we're going to go talk about today. I don't know that there was that much thought put into it. But I do think that, again, to go back, that there was just a glaring oversight to not have a rabbi there. They they pissed off Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney was like, (laughs) why would you bring these guys? They're terrible. Yeah, it was Um, pretty bad. Yeah, it, it is just a... And again, maybe it is all about domestic politics. So this is thinking about the way in which you're going to mobilize the evangelical group, which are already strongly behind Trump. Yes. But maybe this is another message to them. Say this isn't just about Jewish Americans and Jews. This is about right. evangelical Christians and part of that broader movement. So maybe it's more of an identity dynamic that he's pursuing. I think it's it's sort of trying to say like, hey, Jews, hey, Christians, we're not all that different. But you know who are really different? Muslims. That's and true. people that are brown. Mm-hmm. They're really different. So if we can be unified against this other, yeah. then that's how we should explore this. Sure. And move forward. So I think there's probably something there. Well, that was it. Uh, I sent I sent you that clip, uh, Nick. It was a judge. What's her name? Judge Janine. Oh, Janine. Yeah. She had this. That she, was an eye roll in case you couldn't hear it. <laughs> she had this commentary that I sent Phil and Nick where she was going on that like Trump is fulfilling the biblical yes. prophecy. Right. I mean this. And I, I was like, is this is this real? Yes. Yes. Is, yes. Oh, yeah. That's the perception of it. Mm-hmm. Oh. Because as you said, it's about identity, right? It's about it's not about moral values as we have seen. And it's not about religion anymore. It's yeah. about something deeper. It's the us versus them that runs it runs deeper than religion now. Religion is you're right. It's no longer about the faith. It's, it's about politics. This yep. is re- it's really masking our political ideologies. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of stunning transformation of those those groups. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And as we move into the 2020 election and whether he's going to get a primary challenger and who's going to challenge him on the other side of the aisle, how this plays out, whether he kind of brings religion back in to remind evangelicals that yeah, it's about identity, but also I love God, and they don't. I, I think it's going to be curious to see how this plays yeah. out. I'm sure it'll all play out well, Nick, right? Yeah, no, this, this uh, is going to yeah, get, get better. He's already got the Nobel Prize. It's just sitting there waiting for I, him. I was telling Suzanne earlier today that 
a couple of weeks ago we were joking about that, but it did feel like things were moving his direction foreign policy wise. <laughs> Oops. Uh, and then, as we'll talk about and later, the sunset and yeah. came up again. And <laughs> North, <laughs> things were different. North Korea shifted in a little bit of a you know not so good direction. Yeah, mm-hmm. Iran long term could be problem problem problematic. Uh, the Middle East is is spiraling. So this is yeah. His reaction to it though, when there was the chanting at one of the rallies, and he like walked away from the podium and was like no pointing bell. at people no. right no and then someone asked him at a press conference and something he was like well everyone else thinks i should have it like, yes apparently he's brought it up in cabinet meetings as well like he says everybody is saying i should get the nobel prize i'm sure prize. pence is one of the ones who's delivering oh it. we'll get to that yeah. i don't think there should be a nobel prize i think here. i agree like, like ever no. for anyone? no like not every there shouldn't be one every, oh, every year. year there oh, should okay. be one when there is an overwhelming support for a particular person at some point in time. So and for only... the Peace Prize or for all Nobel Prizes? No, for the Peace Prize. Oh, okay. Yeah. You can do all the whole medicine and literature crap and whatever. <laughs> yeah, physics. Nobody hears about those. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody cares about <laughs> All right. We should, we should talk about our beer. <laughs> mm. So, all right. So we all started sampling a uh, Citra Blonde Ale from Le Gros, which is an organic beer company out of Chicago. Uh, and I actually met... Uh, met somebody from the one of the brothers at Whole Foods this weekend. They were distributing and sampling the beer. It was terrible. No, <laughs> no, it was really good. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it is. It's it's a, a light beer, but it had mm-hmm. like a little bit of a citrusy flavor too. Suzanne, mm-hmm. you, uh, what is your thoughts on? Well, it? I love me a citrus beer. For yeah. the two gentlemen who know me and any listeners who listen to me, I always want something that's light and citrusy, something like Shandy, something like a Ho Garden, which is one of my favorite beers. So to find something that's local now, mm-hmm. it's organic. The only people... organic brew, uh, beer in Chicago, Is I it guess. really? Yeah. Well, That's awesome. it's fabulous. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, I don't know off. if it's... No, it's fine. I don't know if it's because it's organic or just because it's got all the things in it that I like, but I would say... Probably of all of the citrusy beers you have mm-hmm. given me on the podcast, yeah. this is by far my favorite one. Mm-hmm. It was, it was it's good. A good it's really good. Yeah, that's what I was thinking yeah. too. It's yeah. like perfect for the summer because it's light. And I like a lot of the summery light beers don't have the citra flavor too. So this mm-hmm. was, it was fantastic. I'm a big yeah. fan. So, very pleased. So well done, Legro. We, uh, we're going to try some more. Yeah. So. If uh, you want to look up the beers that we try on the podcast, you can download the Untapped app, which you can find on iOS and Android and I'm assuming other types of platforms. Um, but we're <laughs> just... Um, yeah we're just barstool politics on there uh follow us check out our reviews um yeah sounds good speed round speed round time all right so topic number one and i'm gonna start with a question what kind of messed up world is kim jong-un's word not reliable i mean just we should alternate universe yeah affairs Oh, so North Korea, through President Trump's planned summit meeting with his with its leader, Kim Jong-un, into doubt on Wednesday, threatening to call off the landmark encounter if the United States insisted on unilateral nuclear abandonment. This caught just about everyone off guard, including the Trump administration. The change in tone began early Wednesday when North Korea indefinitely postponed high-level talks with South Korea over the North's objection to joint military drills by the South and the United States that began last week. These are drills that happen quite regularly between the United States and South Korea. The North also raised the possibility of scrapping the meeting with Mr. Trump. Uh, the White House downplayed the threat uh, to cancel the meeting, saying they were they were still hopeful, which is, is good. You know, they're, they're, we need more hope in the administration. Mm-hmm. Sarah Huckabee Sanders noted, quote, the president is ready if the meeting takes place. And if it doesn't, we'll continue the maximum pressure campaign. Go, girl. Yeah. Nick, so what was your reaction to these new developments out of North Korea? I just like that we didn't have a final topic for this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill sends out a uh, 
kind of an outline of what we do. We got to find something else. And I woke up this morning. and go, well, that was easy. <laughs> yes. It's done for us. Close this, close this yes. out. <laughs> North Korea. Um, I, I, I think this is a, a negotiating tactic more than anything. I, I wouldn't look that far into it. If the U.S. continues to go forward with complete denuclearization as their main sticking point, the meeting isn't going to happen, and they are officially going to be assholes in foreign policy. It, this needs to take place just from an optics and strategy and geopolitical perspective and, and a goodwill perspective mm-hmm. more than anything. Um, if I think the North Koreans actually specifically called out John Bolton and how much of an idiot he was, <laughs> which was hilarious. Um, yeah, I, it's I, I wouldn't look too far into it, but definitely look into what the reaction is going to be over the next few days. Yeah. Suzanne, oh, you're pouring a beer. I am pouring a beer, but I can multitask. Priorities. <laughs> Women are great at that. Again, the lady the is ladies. on. Um, so I had I was talking to Bill about this earlier because I said, like, for me, this was not surprising. Mm-hmm. Thinking about this, you know, what. What is the end game for Kim Jong-un to even have the summit in the first place? So it seemed to me not surprising that now he's going to sort of play these games and say, oh, no, now I'm not sure. No, now you're not holding up your end of the bargain. And so all of this was a way to kind of lure the U.S. in to then not calling him Rocket Man, but saying he's honorable and has all this integrity. And then kind of the bait and switch to say, like, just kidding, I have no interest in this at all. Bill had said he felt more confident it was actually going to happen, mm-hmm. that we felt, you know, it was sort of rational for the individual actors to do it, but not for the countries, which I'll let you talk about because you said it much more eloquently. <laughs> so for me, this was not at all surprising, and it also wouldn't surprise me if at the end of the day the summit ends up not happening between the U.S. and North Korea. Yes. Hmm. It could totally fall apart in in hours, right? I mean, it could be all it will take is Trump sending some kind of tweet, provocative tweet, Kim Jong-un will respond, and then it's all, it's all done. Yes. The reason why I think it might still occur, and I, for, for weeks I've been saying it's stupid, it's not going to happen, this is insane, but it, it occurred to me that both Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump benefit from this meeting. So Kim Jong-un is, is for years, the family has been trying to get some sort of interaction, a presidential meeting with the United States. So that's it's obviously a big deal for them. For Donald Trump, there's so much bad news going on. And if this were to happen, it would consume every, it would just consume all of It'll the discussion. It would be bigger than the royal wedding. It would be, right? And what <laughs> well, is Donald Trump? I care less about the royal <laughs> wedding, actually. <laughs> what does Donald Trump want more than anyone is, anything that's people talking about him? And it would, you know, conversation about the Mueller investigation would peel away, at least for a short period of time. So this is the kind of thing that he loves. Mm. So I would think those two individuals are going to push for it. John Bolton, as Nick said, is not going to help this. So part of the statement today from North Korea was they were angry that the United States is using the Libyan analogy to understand North Korea. And so Libya, a little bit of history lesson here, Libya at one point was pursuing nuclear weapons. They stopped that and willingly gave up, though, that weapons program for a pledge that the United States would no longer intervene and not invade them. Seems like a good solution. Ultimately, the United States, through the Security Council, did invade in, it did invade Libya and topple the regime. So if you're North Korea, you don't like that example, right? Because it suggests the United States is going to go back on its word and ultimately invade North Korea. So I'm not quite sure what John Bolton, you know, I love the mustache. I don't like the idea. I, I don't. Thought. No forethought. <laughs> no forethought, yes. I don't think that's a good analogy, though. If that's the one the North Koreans are, are picking. Mm-hmm. The difference between Libya and North Korea is Gaddafi had a tenuous hold on power at best at that point, and a very limited army as well. North Korea has an iron grip on its people, 
as well as a huge, I think the world's largest standing army right now. So even if they did give up their nuclear arms, they have some pretty big toys to play with. It's when they, I understand what they're trying to say with that analogy, but I, from a strategic perspective, from the U.S. perspective, and from probably John Bolton's perspective, I would call bullshit on that mm -hmm. because it's not the same sure. situation at all. It will require a lot of patience out of Trump because no. negotiations are tough, right? And, and just getting to that point, North Korea is going to poke. They're going to be provocative. And will he not Snap. take the... Yeah, exactly. And and rage, in which case it all unravels. So this, mm -hmm. will, this is a real test. He's been very good over the last couple of weeks of not being outrageous. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Pompeo has been having meetings. And it's it's been moving in the right direction. Yeah. Whether they can sustain that, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't really. Yeah, uh, he's the master negotiator until someone makes fun of him and or belittles him, and then it's all over. I'm starting to think he doesn't get the best deals, though. I think you're. Why right. would you say that? Well, I just our first two topics. That's un-American. Bad deal, uh -oh. bad deal. Yeah. And we're gonna get to another bad deal when we talk about Iran. Yes, right? that's right. Yeah. All right. Next topic: Mike Pence. The worst person in government? I don't like your title. <laughs> Question mark? Question mark. <laughs> it's not my idea. <laughs> All right. We don't spend much time talking about Vice President Mike Pence. Yet last week, conservative columnist George Will uh, <laughs> changed that with a stunning... In the text, I wrote communist, which is kind of funny instead of columnist. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't even yeah. I wasn't going to yeah. say it, but then he laughed. So he wrote a stunning column about Pence. In the column, Will notes Pence's, quote, talent for toadyism. <laughs> Citing a December cabinet meeting when Pence praised Trump uh, once every 12 seconds over his three-minute comment. What really upset George Will was Pence's recent trip to Arizona, where he publicly saluted former Sheriff Joe, Joe Apayo as a, quote, tireless champion of the rule of law. In the process, Will concludes that Pence has dethroned his benefactor to, quote, become America's most repulsive public figure. Will concludes the piece stating, quote, Trump is what he is, a floundering, inarticulate, jumble of gnawing insecurities and not at all compensating vanities, which is pathetic. Pence is what he has chosen to be, which is horrifying. Double ouch. Ooh. Let's put Toady Mike Double under the ouch. microscope. Is this critique fair? I'll start with you, Suzanne. Is this critique fair? I would say it's, it's fair-ish. So I get his point, which is to say Pence has chosen to be this guy where Trump is like just this guy. So the idea that Pence has sort of sold his soul, has sold out, lost credibility, whether people thought he had it in the first place, I guess is sort of debatable. But I think rather than criticizing Pence, which in some ways he's an easy target to what Will is trying to do, is to dive more into what has happened to the administration where they're using the vice president as a person to um, do the president's bidding in a way that is A, unprecedented, and B, inappropriate. So in some ways what Will is doing is the same kind of thing that Trump does to others that we say is, is distasteful, which is to criticize someone at their core and, and in some ways make fun of them. Hmm. And so if you want to criticize Pence's behavior, I think that's fine. But I think what, what may serve Will's argument better is to criticize what Trump has done to his administration that this is now the expectation. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nick, what do you think about all this? Um, I mean, we've talked about it before. Yeah. I still think that I still love this analogy because it's very it's very prescient. Um, I still think that Trump is just the Vader to Pence's Palpatine mm -hmm. for all the Star Wars <laughs> people out there. I just did that. Um, he's 
he's a player. Like, he knows how to play the game. And of all the people that know how to get on Trump's good side, he seems to stay on his good side. Mm -hmm. Which, realistically, in this administration... It's hard. It's really hard, and he's really, really good at it. So... I mean, if you're on the opposing bench, I would be frightened that there's someone who can, again, stay on Trump's good side and knows how to play the game well enough to manipulate the situation that he's in, in in this horribly chaotic situation that no one has ever had to deal with ever in this office. It's, he's very smart, and I don't think he does any of those things that people make fun of him for uh, or say that, you know, he's just following along to the tune of of Trump's horn, he doesn't do that without knowing what the end result or what it could do for him in the end. Mm -hmm. He has greater aspirations than what he is doing right now, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, he wouldn't have hitched his his horse to the bandwagon otherwise. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think there are two individuals in the administration who've managed to stay in Trump's good graces, Pence and James Mattis. Mm -hmm. And they've both chosen different strategies. So uh, Pence has been the toady. Mattis has not. I mean, I think Mattis comes out of this not being somebody who sold his soul to the devil. I don't know if it matters, though. Uh, Suzanne, do you think that if, let's say, Trump either resigns or is not elected or or maybe serves two terms, Mm -hmm. will any of this come back to bite Pence? Or can he say, I was the loyal servant? Mm -hmm. Will people remember the way in which... You know, he supported somebody like Arpaio or this week or last week he came out and said that Mueller should invent, uh, you know, end the investigation. Mm-hmm. Does any of that stick? No. OK, well, that's then I guess no, that and, answers it all. And, <laughs> no, I mean, and no period. But also to add a little bit to that, um, depending on how far we have to go before he runs. Right. And we, one would assume that would be for, you know, six years from now, whatever it is that um, yeah, I did that math right. Sorry. Excuse me for math. Um, that by then we don't know who's going to control Congress. We know what public mood looks like. And so if the pendulum swings back like we know it does, if Trump serves two terms, the likelihood that a Republican gets elected is very small just based on the way that we know that that forecasting kind of works. And so even if people remember, like it probably doesn't matter. Yeah. But aside from that, no, we're not going to remember. And I think he certainly is strategic. He's thinking about what comes next, and obviously it's the presidency. I just don't get why this behavior is seen to be strategic. I mean, I I just he just feels so icky. It's icky. There's nothing there. He's Mm -hmm. kind of sold himself out. I mean, Joe Arpaio is a criminal, and you're you're. I mean, you're just placating the base here saying that this is a man who believes in law and order the right? base loves him though when you he's not off, dumb enough to to negate a huge part of the electorate it's <laughs> I, and and in some ways what he can do that trump can't is to come out and say some of these, some of these things with more legitimacy especially mm-hmm. when we talk about the way that he addresses um um sort of social issues that that's where he really excels and maybe this is the upper hand that he feels where he can stay in Trump's good graces is that he knows his value and where he can do things that Trump can't and that Trump lacks Mm -hmm. and so if he has to like you know sell his soul a little bit he still knows that there are things that he can do that only he can do that keeps him sort of valuable sure I interrupted you before. You were going to say something. Oh, I've forgotten it now. Okay. Oh, I was, I, I was, I was, my mind was drifting back to that press conference when Pence was saying like great things every 12 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think like what, I mean, that's not accident. You don't just do no. that. So it it's is, a it's a realization that tr- this is what Trump wants and I'm willing to do anything 
to stay in that orbit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just... But you, in some ways, just quickly, I know we have to move on, but this reminds me of when the meeting with Romney during the transition, oh, right? Yeah. It's the same thing where we thought Romney, who you know just criticized him so heavily that would be totally above all of that. But the minute the president-elect comes calling, what are you willing to do in order to get a spot? (laughs) And then now he's probably going to be a senator. But even still, it's that same. For me, it's the same idea. I I, I just thought of that picture where they're having dinner. Yes. And Trump has that grin like, I've won. And Romney's like like, turning around like, yeah, I lost. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's right. And that is... That is American politics at its Why worst. Why I love it right? so yeah. much. At its Ugh. worst. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next topic. Jumping back to the international. The question yeah. is whether the American-European Security Alliance is finally dead. It appears that America's three closest friends, Britain, France, and Germany, are a tad grumpy with the United States over its decision to withdraw from the Iran nuclear accord. According to multiple press accounts this week, the three have engaged in a frenzy of phone calls and meetings trying to determine what to do next. German Chancellor Angela Merkel said Trump's actions have thrown the multilateral order into a real crisis. Of particular concern are sanctions, which Trump is going to impose on any European business that trades with Iran. According to the Washington Post article, quote, the Europeans spent months negotiating with the State Department about supplements to the Iran deal that would accommodate Trump's concerns. By late April, senior officials on all sides said they were close to an agreement. Yet when Macron, Merkel, and Johnson traveled to Washington the days and weeks before Trump's announcement, all came away with the feeling that Trump had not read the five-page document they had prepared and perhaps was even unaware of the effort. Now, that can't be true. Trump I reads everything. Your sources. Where are you getting <laughs> this right. from? Leakers. The leakers. <laughs> so leakers. should we be concerned over the decline in the Atlantic Alliance, or is this just sour grapes? <laughs> So sour grapes. You don't care, Nick. I'm so tired of yeah. Britain, France, and Germany. You're so tired of Britain, I'm France, tired and Germany. Of, I'm tired of them. You don't want to. You don't want to play with them anymore. I don't want to play you with take them your ball anymore. and go home. We just need a break. We need. We just need. We need. A, we're on a break. I think that's where Trump's at. Yeah. He's Ross. No, it's. He's, <laughs> it's oh God. I think that's the first Friends reference mm-hmm. we've done on You're here. <laughs> um, yeah. I, my question is, who is the person that's keeping that information away from? Do you think it's really that he just didn't read it? I feel like it's more someone in the administration who would keep that information away from him. It's possible that John Bolton like and John others Bolton. who want to see the agreement go away mm-hmm. don't make him aware of what's happening. Well, I mean, normally this would be something the chief of staff would handle, but it appears that maybe the chief of staff doesn't have as much of a handle anymore right. on the situation. So, um it could be again that he, yeah, never received it. It is pretty bad though that our some of our closest allies are saying we thought we had an agreement that we'd come to some deal. Which, it, uh, as I step back and think, if you could have kept the original accord mm-hmm. and then added some additional measures that would have addressed Trump's concern, I think that's an improvement. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe negotiate with Iran's you know ballistic missile development, their behavior in Yemen. If you can get mm-hmm. additions to the original deal, that's an improvement. But it seems that Trump's whole thing is you know addition by subtraction. Let's keep pulling away, pulling mm-hmm. away, and I, I really don't feel like we're in a better position now. And if our allies don't think we're even going to pay attention. Right to what happens that's that's deeply troubling i i mean i think he's i i agree with your your sentiment addition by subtraction but at the same time you also have had a flood of european organizations that have wanted exemptions from the deal that have yes. come forward mm-hmm. which realistically gives us more of a bargaining chip with major industrial powers 
in Europe that we kind of didn't have before. On top of that, I think there's some geopolitical um, perspective uh, when you're talking about France, Germany, and Britain that they think they're now on the hook for making sure that this deal is still viable, which, again, we talked about last week. I, I think that there were enough stipulations in that deal, <clears throat> and especially after hearing uh, the Iranian regime talk about potentially if there's no benefit to us anymore uh, with the current deal, we'll just pull out of it. That suggests to me that having the U.S. pull out of it means that there is there's no more teeth to this particular deal and nothing that the Europeans can really do to benefit Iran. So I think from a security perspective, they're scared about that. And also that they know that other regional powers don't give a shit about them nearly as much as the influence of the U.S. Especially if the U.S. puts those sanctions to say that any European country that trades with Iran right. is going to be sanctioned for that, right? That's the one. Also that. It's not It's not that the United States, well, I mean, I think that's to your point. It's mm-hmm. not that the United States just is saying, we're not going to be part of the agreement. We're mm-hmm. saying to everybody else, if you continue to abide by the agreement and trade with Iran, we're going to sanction you as well. Mm-hmm. So it's which makes it more difficult for the accord to hold, even without the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't... So, yes, and yes, and yes. But what <laughs> I'm thinking on a, a sort of a different way, when Trump was talking about, we're going to negotiate a better deal for the U.S. and a better deal for Iran. So, what does that even mean, right? So, if the Nothing. better... Yeah. But this is my point, <laughs> yeah, that right? Is a better is deal. That, like, sort of rhetorically, what he's, he's trying to not make it all about the United States, to say we're going to do it better for us and do it better for them... Like, those two things can't exist together. So, I mean, quite, I think it's obvious to anyone paying attention that all of this is a power move. It is a way to flex muscles. It is a way, as Nick said, to put some of the other of our allies on the hook to make this work. And so, the way I look at this in the long term, crack it. There you go. The way I look at this in the long term is, let's say that it's not renegotiated. It exists as it exists. And then we um, we implement the sanctions. And we somehow figure out, figure out a way to implement sanctions on the European countries that, that deal with Iran. Then all of those things together sound like it's going to be a win for Trump to say, see, look what I did. Mm-hmm. Look what I was able to do. This we should have done all along. Mm-hmm. And now it's a win for me. Like rhetorically, I think that makes sense, right? But what does it do to the long-term relationship between us and our allies, and then sort of the allies you were talking about, maybe not as close allies, of course, in other parts of Europe. The long game is lost completely on this administration, which I think is the most problematic part of this. Mm -hmm. And I I think it doesn't have to be sentimental. It's not that you look at this and say like, oh, it's sad that we're not friends with the European allies. It's strategic, right? You, You want to have some type of agreement that prevents Iran from pursuing a nuclear weapon. And right now, we don't have that. And maybe, I think to your point, maybe, Nick's point, maybe that now the United States can put some pressure on the European allies to to make a deal. That could happen. But apparently, the the behind-the-scenes conversation, the European allies are saying, Trump is now coming to us saying Mm -hmm. to to Europe, what's your plan? Mm -hmm. And Europe says... We've got a plan, yeah. right? So, so get the, on or get off, right? So, so what comes next? Uh, and maybe it's just more sanctions, but there's got to be something that comes from those sanctions. Well, if they have a plan, implement the plan. Yeah, like you it. don't necessarily need us to go forward with your plan. It seems like all of these agreements, the major stipulation is that the U.S. is involved. Well, because yeah, is, you just said that there's no teeth without us, right? Yeah, which again, from if if that's the case, though, if all these agreements are just 
pissing in the wind. Yeah. Like, what is the point of us being party to that? It's <laughs> it's a waste of resources and time. But it's it's not that we. I don't necessarily agree with any of the things that I'm saying. <laughs> But it's not that we're just saying we don't like the agreement, we're done. We're pulling the fact that we're putting sanctions on these European countries, it's like we don't like the deal and we don't like that you like the deal. So Right. Right. But so sorry. The, <laughs> right. But is that like even good strategy? No. no. Right, well, no. Well, but is it uh, I don't think it no. is. I don't think it is. The only way it could be is if if the Trump administration has some plan to move forward. <laughs> To develop a more comprehensive agreement, which I don't think can happen because the conditions on the ground have changed. But good luck on them or good luck to them. I still think this there can be a long term strategy of this in again, while we still want we still want to be the hegemonic power on earth on everyone else's shoulders like everybody else right. does the work well no not we necessarily saying figure out the deal right but at the same time we also shouldn't necessarily be the hegemonic power in the sense that we have our tentacles intricately involved in everything there can be regional stability and have us called in to be the support underlying support structure or security apparatus I still think you can make this, if this deal doesn't work with the Europeans there and the U.S. not involved, that says that Europe does not have any bargaining power with anyone anymore. You still have the vast majority of that deal in place. If you can't make it work, then you are not doing your job on a economic and geopolitical and strategic level as the region that's immediately adjacent to the people that could nuke you. So make it worthwhile for them because it's going to be worthwhile for you because you won't die. I, I think they want to do that, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> I think they want to. And if it wasn't for the United States and saying we're going to sanction these European regimes for trading with Iran, they would do that. Yes. So I, I feel like the United States is saying, Europe, you figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then we're saying to Europe, but we don't like the way that you're figuring it out. Right. So let's throw sand it's in the like gears. The Make it better. It's right. like the, Trump is the kid that cheats off of his friends, but then doesn't like what they produce. Oh, it's that's a, good. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same. This is He's this. the Biff Tannen of world leaders. Another good reference. <laughs> Love it. Friends. Oh, we're so much good stuff. Yes. Oh, oh we're doing, we're doing your good mom today. for me, Germany. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Next next topic. No apology to McCain, but those leakers are trouble. Um, last week, an aide to President Donald Trump joked that John McCain's opposition to CIA nominee Gina Haspel was largely immaterial because he's dying anyway. The White House has not disputed that the aide Kelly Sadler made the comment, yet the White House has not apologized for the remark. And in a creative twist, the story has evolved into a story about leaking Trump responded on Twitter by noting, quote, the so-called leaks coming out of the White House are a massive over-exaggeration put up by the fake news media in order to make us look as bad as possible. Later in the same tweet, he called the leakers traitors and cowards and said that we will find out who they are. All this leaves me a little confused. (laughs) Should the White House apologize for the awful comments made about McCain? Or is the real problem here the leaker, Suzanne? I mean, are we really going to talk about what the real problem is here? All right, so we're agreed. It's, it's the leakers. leakers. <laughs> oh my God, I hate you guys so much. Um, I just... Okay, so... There's so many things. I want to use the topic for the next topic. Like, be cool. It'll all work out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so. I just... At some point, I guess I felt like there'd be something that was off limits hmm. to this administration. Dying is not off limits, yeah. 
And it's not. No. And maybe this is retaliation for McCain saying he doesn't want Trump at his funeral. And that all came out. And so now this is like, well, I'm pissed at you. So, like, I'm not going to apologize. Whether the administration and Sarah Huckabee Sanders as a representative administration has to come out and apologize or they force the individual, the, the, the person that said it, to say something about it, it seems to me that this is a win to say. It's a win for the administration for just to send this person out or a press release to say, even if they make it up and say it was taken out of context or whatever it is, you know, or it was unintentional. But this is the whataboutism. It's the same idea that let's turn it around and it placates the base and it placates the conservative news. And I'm sure he talked to Sean Hannity before he sent the tweet to make sure it was going to get covered. It's just at what point, at what point um, is something in bad form? And the idea that this is not to the administration and that the whataboutism is still occurring, it's just, it's just. And that they dot, could, dot, have, dot. could have come out and said, we're sorry on the first day. And the story it's probably goes done. away. Yeah. Nick. All right. Yeah. Don't hit me okay. when I say this. <laughs> no flicking. No flicking. Damn it. God. Um, I, um, so I do think that they're having met a number of people at this level of government. There is a fair degree of sh- uh, I'll call it shop talk. They talk horrendously and toxically about anyone who gets in their way or who doesn't agree with them. And that's just what they do. Regardless if you're talking about this administration or the previous administration or any administration, people say this shit behind closed doors all the time. Hence the leaker thing. But yes, I completely agree. All they had to do was come up with some fake apology even yeah. if they didn't agree with it this is just turning into something that it didn't need to. right i think you're right these these things go on behind closed doors sure. and then when they they leak out the quick the smart thing to do is to say this is terrible then to fire her right it's not like she's mike pence you can get rid of her and move on right so the, you know i i think the real story here is this the the lack of grace the administration has and so you know you're not gonna acknowledge how awful this was but the reality, these aren't even leaks anymore. This is a fire hose that is just shooting information out. Mm-hmm. This week, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, after the story broke, apparently went in and just berated her team about, like, this is terrible that this is all leaking out. I'm sure this is going to leak out. Which, which it, it did. Which it did. Right? You know, so, and, it's, and what does that say about an administration where there's so... I mean, does it... I mean, I think it's just more about people and the workplace environment more than anything. They're people in a horrendous situation in r- shitty jobs. Sure. I, I mean, if you're at that point and there's no positive aspect to your job, you're going to be a little vindictive and <laughs> shitty about it, which right. I can completely understand. <laughs> at the same time, you're working for the president. So exactly. maybe get just, it together. just yeah, get your shit together. Yes. Yeah. But is it so... I. We don't know the answer to this, but I was as I'm sitting here listening to this, you know, banter. Yeah. <laughs> Whether or not this is now the norm, right? So we have never seen this before to this extent. And and when we had seen leaks, it was about things that were of consequence. Everything now that is said behind closed doors is coming out in order to sort of diminish the legitimacy of the institution. Fine. Is this the new norm when we have another president or is this exclusive to the shitty working conditions under this president. One would hope, as with most things in this administration, that it's a blip. I don't I don't know. And we won't know until sure. we hit another president to see whether or not this is just the standard now. It strikes me that there's a difference 
within the Trump administration compare I'm sorry, I bumped the wall. I hit his foot. Yeah. Oh, oh, I did something else. I care about you hitting okay. the wall. <laughs> We're also nice to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So th- there's a difference between the Trump administration and the Obama administration, the George W. Bush administration, where those people that worked for those presidents were committed to those presidents, and they continue to be committed. That's not the case with Trump. There is not this uh, loyalty to the president or the administration, mm-hmm. and I-, I hope that this norm is it ends with Trump, that he's sort of a despicable guy he's not very considerate and that that's the people he surrounds himself with who are self-interested who are leakers uh and cowards and losers and traitors right i mean these are all the names that they're calling their own staff Mm -hmm. i mean sarah huckabee sanders said if somebody works for the president and leaks they're a coward and traitor and all i mean this is uh yeah oh girl yeah i think it's something unique to trump but i'm not sure but and even the people that the people that worked for the previous administrations not only had sort of a, a deference to the individual, but had a deference to the institution. That's right, yeah. And the importance of maintaining the reputation of the institution for democratic stability, and that's lost. And so yeah. whether it is this idea of self-interest where they're not seeing anything past themselves because they're modeling themselves after the individual in the office, it's but there are long-term consequences to this that we don't really see outside of because we're focusing on the exact things that are being leaked. I have significant concerns about the about the institution itself. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, it's the whole, it's the Nick, you get used to being in prison analogy. Yeah. At some yeah. point, those norms have been so eroded, we forget what it's like mm-hmm. to see behavior out of a president yes. and for the staff to work for a president. Because even Obama had such a tight grip on the press, right? Yeah. They, the, the gaggle wasn't, they didn't work yeah. with them the same way anymore. You know, this is where the idea of the sort of the investigative journalism even ramps up more because they didn't have access to the president. But no one was speaking about that in a way that was disrespectful or that was, um, I mean, maybe somewhat problematic, but not in the way now where the relationship with the press has just eroded to a point where, you know, what's the point in it anymore? I mean, you can also, having been there at the time, they were that administration was also seen as tight-lipped and aloof and thought that they knew better than everybody else and there was a severe lack of transparency in an administration who said they were going to be the most transparent in presidential history so let's find a middle ground between no information and just balls to the wall we're gonna find out right when yeah. he takes a dump right like I, yeah i don't somewhere ah, we don't in the middle that far right in the yeah. middle there and where right. where that is we yeah. i don't know whether that's i don't know what administration that is whether we've ever seen it or not well and the administration can make that decision to say we're going to be more transparent i mean what happens with Trump they're extremely just, transparent yeah, right now. They're not on purpose. They no. can't stop right, it. But right. they're still extremely transparent. But they're still <laughs> That's right. the most transparent in presidential history. Of course. Yes. It's all fake news. Yeah. Fake Everything fake that comes news. out of there is fake. All right, don't worry. We'll Be track cool. them down. Don't worry about Be it. Cool. Be cool. Be, Be cool. cool. It's all going to work out. It's all Fonzie. <laughs> all right, good news, crew. Trump is bringing the jobs back to China. Awesome. Uh, Trump created some confusion this week with a tweet about ZTE, a Chinese telecom company. Last week, ZTE announced that it would close its major operations after the U.S. announced additional punitive measures in response to the company's failure to comply with the settlement for violating sanctions on Iran and North Korea. But in a stunning Twitter reversal, Trump decided to rescue the Chinese telecom giant, a move that caught many in the administration itself by surprise. Trump tweeted that, President Xi of China and I are working to give a massive Chinese phone company, ZTE, a way to get back into business. Fast. Too many jobs in China lost. Unquote. 
when there was <laughs> when there was some concern expressed what? about Trump's focus <laughs> on Chinese and not American jobs, he tweeted, "Quote: Be cool. It will all work out." Unquote. I'm satisfied. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> So I can I just say for a second, I yeah. said this to Bill earlier, the ZTE makes me think of CTE. And then when you said a stunning reversal, I'm thinking yes. of like, you know, flag on the play, wait, the reverse. So yeah. all the football references yeah. and I couldn't get it out of my head. Uh, and now we can move on. It's just insane. Why would he say that? <laughs> I'm so confused. Well, it strikes me that for his base, and we talk a lot about how Trump is attentive to his base. That saying, I'm going to worry about Chinese jobs, is just bad politics. Mm-hmm. Now, I can see a world in which he's, he's negotiating a long-term agreement with China where, you know, allowing uh, this company to, to stay in business to, you know, pull back on some of those sanctions might be in the U.S. interest, but he's trapped by his own rhetoric. Yeah. Right. And the fact that he doesn't get this, he's like, no, 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 don't worry. Be cool. Be yeah, cool, be cool. damn it. Be cool. Shut up. Yeah, yes. what, what, what is... I don't get it. <laughs> all you had to say. I don't get it. Well, I, I mean, all you had to say was, it's a giant company that we do a tremendous amount of business with. We don't want to lose American jobs that are associated with it's this. It's in our best interest. It's in our best Absolutely. interest to do this. So they will pay a fine and we'll write a strongly worded letter, and sure. they'll there will be consequences. Damn it, <laughs> right. finger wag. And, and that, like, that's that's it. Don't yeah. say that you're bringing jobs back to China. Right, you exactly. ass. Yes, that would have been a smart thing to do. Do you think he is negotiating a good deal for the American public with the Chinese? No, he's negotiating a good deal for his businesses that are benefiting off of investment by this company in Indonesia. Like Mm -hmm. $500 million that China, like, invested in a firm that he's connected with. It's just, I can't, I don't... (laughs) I said emoluments earlier, and Bill was like, "What? We're talking, oh, we're about, talking that about that again?" again. <laughs> and it's not. Ne- I realize it's never going to go anywhere, and it's. Uh, but there, yeah. it's just there's. It's so obvious that I don't understand why we don't care about this again. This one's pretty glaring. Yeah. Right, I think people are going to start caring about it again. They should, though. <laughs> and I, I think that either he, he, we're getting, we're not going to get a good deal with China. One or a because of potential, he's thinking about himself 100%. and this this deal with Indonesia. And China is smart. China gets, of course, they mm-hmm. understand the kind of player that Trump is. So they are not going to offer deals that may be long term good for the United States. They're going to offer deals that are short term good for Trump. Right. Which is good for them. Yes. And he is, I, I get the sense that he is willing to eat that up like just nobody's business. And mm-hmm. and he wants a deal. So as long as there's a deal done, he feels like, I've got it. I can spin it. I can sell it. It doesn't really matter what's in it. And that's troubling because it does matter what's in this deal with China. It matters because it's going to give Chinese jobs. It's going to provide jobs in China. It's not going to provide jobs in the United States. And mm-hmm. so to what Nick said earlier, I think, is, is absolutely right, is that all it would have taken was a different kind of tweet that explained that. Right. And then it goes away. Cover but, your tracks, dummy. Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's why, why, after the way he talked about China during the campaign, why this is just like sliding by, Yeah, it baffles me. And, and Republicans have come out and criticized him. A number have said this is a national security issue, mm-hmm. that ZTE has been involved in like stealing information. And it's, it's not just about jobs. This is a complicated issue. Mm-hmm. And he's willing to compromise on that. Because he doesn't understand it. Yes. 
It's because it's, it's my business. Make money. I like deal. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very simple flowchart. Right. <laughs> That's it's one arrow. Right? It's very easy. And of all the narratives about the Trump administration that may ultimately take root, I, I don't know if the Mueller, you know, the Mueller investigation may may come to nothing. There may be nothing there. I know, but but it might be the corruption angle, the way in which because we're not always paying attention. To that we're so obsessed with Russia mm-hmm. and. Don Jr., who didn't have a good day today, he may... What did he do today? Well, they released all the Senate stuff. <gasps> oh, that's yeah. right. I didn't read it yet. Yeah, and apparently he wasn't totally honest about all oh, of this stuff. Yeah, so... But, so, you know, I wonder whether the, the Mueller investigation may reach up to certain levels but not touch Trump. Mm-hmm. And the real story here is the corruption... The business deals, right. the way in which he used the presidency to enhance himself, but yes. not necessarily the country. Mm-hmm. That may be the deeper story, That's the more hi- important story. That That is him. Yeah. There. I mean, anyone who thinks that, like, the idea of being president was solely just the idea of being president and that there wasn't something else there. Yeah. Because you know you're not president forever. How do you set yourself up in the long term? You use the presidency to do that for yourself and for your family. Mm-hmm. It, that, that That's... That's been him from the beginning. Uh, in my opinion, this is a much bigger deal than anything going on with Europe or the Middle East. Interesting. I, I, the, right. the bell rang, but Nick, I want to hear about yeah. the bell. <laughs> Screw the bell. It's. I, I mean, this is China is the ultimate strategic player and the the ultimate long term player. They know exactly what they are doing when something like this happens, and when you have someone who has the the. Um, memory of a goldfish and is only concerned about himself it's it's the perfect scenario they spent three quarters of a century putting this economic plan that they're still currently involved in in place they don't care how many lifetimes it takes it's going to benefit them in the long run and if they have the ability to speed up that process which i certainly think is is the case right now that's a scary thing to think about because if the economic uh balance shifts in their favor and it seems like the military balance continues to shift in their favor that's it's that's a major concern because they do not share at least our perceived ideals in any way shape or form which is really really frightening that's a major conflict in the making that's a great point i know thank you especially when you think about the way in which trump is thinking short term but not short term country short term his own individual interest Mm -hmm. and you're right china can play the long game it it always feels to me that Saudi Arabia, China, Israel, that they get Trump and they know how to work him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he just just responds perfectly. Yeah. Well, he's getting worked by China and doesn't realize it. Yeah. I mean, because they're, well, no, he doesn't realize it because they're manipulating him in the exact right way, which is with his yeah. business. Mm-hmm. They're all authoritarians. They all have those tendencies. Yeah. and. They know who they're dealing with. And it could be that they're taking advantage of him, or it could be like, hey, here's the deal. Mm-hmm. And Trump says, that's that's a good deal. That's Let's what I want. Yeah. I mean, the, game is, the game is rigged on top of it. They're stealing intellectual property. They uh, set the price of currency. I, it, well, but they're not currency manipulators anymore. No, Remember, not, he told abs- us that. Absolutely no, not. So no, so we're good now. No, 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 no. All right, I'm glad we took care of that. Yeah, thank God. It's... There's just too many variables that are working against us right now that could potentially be really, really awful. And this time, this yeah. timing is really interesting because with American politics, it's all about short term because mm-hmm. it's two, four, and six year electoral cycles, right? So you have to get things done. It's all about short term compared to a regime where it's one guy all the time with one party for the end of time. You can take the time right. and do it methodically. Mm-hmm. That's not how American politics works. No. 
and you think about it, just in our conversation today, we talked about the way in which the United States is going to impose additional sanctions on Europe <clears throat> because of Iran, and at the same time pull sanctions back mm-hmm. on China mm-hmm. for its its viol- in violating the Iran nuclear accord. Right. And we're saying China, it's You're okay. okay. Europe, no deal. Yeah. China's nice Boom. though. Yeah. They held a nice dinner. I bet it was delicious. Red, it was red carpet. Mar-a-Lago. Red carpet. It was carpet. delightful. <laughs> State dinner plus. <laughs> Exactly. I don't know. X- <laughs> Dessert. X- two scoops of ice cream. Two scoops of ice cream. Yes. Only he gets two scoops. Yeah. They flew in a McShake or a McFlurry. <laughs> They're delicious. They are yeah. delicious. I would I to go get one right now. Delightful. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So Wait, if that that's it, that's We're it. Done. We've so done sad. them all. Yeah. It's very sad. It goes. <laughs> Regardless, if you uh, liked us solving uh, Mideast peace. And um, talking about how China sucks right now. Um, follow us on Facebook uh, at Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul, P O L. The Untapped app, you can find the beers that we try, uh, iOS and Android, uh, podcast, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, Blueberry, um, lots of other podcasting platforms. So check that out. Uh, review us and share us on iTunes. That's where most of you are listening. So we like when people do that. It's very nice of you, and we appreciate it. Thank you. And I think that's it. That's it. Thanks, Suzanne. Thanks, Suzanne. Thanks yeah, for having great. me. I appreciate it. Anything else? No. Cool. See you guys next week then. Cheers. Bye. Bye.